Well, good morning, Women's Bible Study. (laughs) So today, our passage, Ezra 8, introduces us to the man who this book is named after, Ezra himself. We finally reached this part in the book where he appears. And I think that we're going to see that this man is an admirable leader. He is faithful to the Lord and consistent. He is devoted to God and to obedience. He models for the people how to follow the Lord and his direction. I think that a look at Ezra and his leadership will show us how we should also live in dependence upon the Lord, recognizing his gracious hand at our every turn. So before we start our study today, let's pray. Father God, I thank you for the way that the ways that you protect us every day, the way that you walk beside us and place your hand on our shoulder and give us strength, Lord. May we remember all of those moments, whether they're big or little, today, God, and just be in awe of you. Lord, would you be in our midst this morning? Help us just to hear your words spoken to our heart and show us how we should live this out in obedience and faithfulness to you. We love and praise you in your name I pray. Amen. All right, so before we look at chapter 8, which is where our passage comes from today, I wanted to look back a little bit at chapter 7, where Ezra is first introduced. Um, A couple of verses from chapter 7 tell us about who Ezra is and what kind of leadership he provides. So Ezra chapter 7, verse 6 says this, This Ezra came up from Babylon. He was a teacher well-versed in the law of Moses, which the Lord, the God of Israel, had given. The king had granted him everything he had asked, for the hand of the Lord was upon him. So this is how Ezra is introduced in our book. Right away we are told that the hand of the Lord is upon him, and that is a theme that's going to come up throughout. One commentary I read said that Ezra is a model reformer, in that what he taught, he lived out. And what he lived out, he made sure of first in scripture. This is what we see in Ezra chapter 7 verse 10. It says this, For Ezra had devoted himself to the study and observance of the law of the Lord and to teaching its decrees and laws in Israel. Study, observance of the law, and teaching. Sound learning, godly living, and teaching it to others. That is what Ezra devoted himself to. And what a wonderful three things to devote himself to, and what a wonderful three things for us to devote ourselves to as well. Studying God's word, living it out, and sharing it with others. So perhaps this is a good time to pause and ask which of these three things maybe we fall short in. What area might we need some growth? Do we spend time really studying God's word? Do we make an effort to live it out in obedience, applying what we've studied? And do we share what we learned with others? 
I'm sure that we all have an area of growth that we can focus on. I think I personally need to work on the obedience part, living out what I've studied. I spend time studying God's word, and obviously for my job, I spend time teaching it, sharing with all of you what the Lord spoke to me. But too often I leave this room and I forget what it was that God spoke to me. I forget to live it out. How did he convict me through this passage? And what's the point if we don't live out what we learn? If it doesn't change us, what's the point if it doesn't work deep in our hearts? So maybe that's an area of growth for you too. Or maybe it's a different one that sticks out to you this morning. Perhaps you study God's word and you find yourself working on applying it, but you don't share it with others. Maybe your small groups is a wonderful opportunity for that. Share what God spoke to you. You never know how it might speak to someone else and affect them as well. That is what our small groups are for, after all. Sharing together what God has been speaking to us through his word. How he's challenged us so that we can encourage one another and hold one another accountable along the way. Well, our passage we studied this week started at verse 21, but I wanted to look back a little bit at verse 15. It says this, I assembled them at the canal that flows toward Ahava, and we camped there three days. When I checked among the people and the priests, I found no Levites there. So Ezra pauses here to pray. His pause to pray was worthwhile because he realizes that there are no Levites there. They were going to be doing things right this time, remember. Therefore, they wanted to be sure to keep God's commands and be sure to not leave without the Levites. Because Ezra knows it is no small thing to approach the living God as a sinner. And so they needed to approach God his way which meant they needed the Levites. So once again, we see the leader that Ezra is. He's faithful and consistent. He studied God's law, and he is modeling and obeying it. Rico Tice, in his sermon on this passage, says that Ezra's concern is not with ease. It's with obedience. How often is our concern with ease instead of obedience? The passage goes on in verses 18 to 20 to say this. Because the gracious hand of our God was on us, they brought us Sherebiah, a capable man, from the descendants of Mali, son of Levi, the son of Israel, and Sherebiah's sons and brothers, 18 in all, and Hashabiah together with Jeshiah from the descendants of Merari and his brothers and nephews, 20 in all. They also brought 220 of the temple servants, a body that David and the officials had established to assist the Levites. All were registered by name. So the Lord provides for them the Levites that they need for this journey. And it says, it is because of the gracious hand of God upon them, which we're going to hear again and again. So looking at our passage now, verses 21 through 23. There by the Ahava Canal I proclaimed a fast, so that we might humble ourselves before God and ask him for a safe journey for us and for our children with all our possessions. I was ashamed to ask the king for soldiers and horsemen to protect us 
from the enemies on the road because we had told the king, the gracious hand of our God is on everyone who looks to him. But his great anger is against all who forsake him. So we fasted and petitioned our God about this, and he answered our prayer. Ezra does not accept an armed escort from the king. This is his personal conviction. Kidner, in his commentary, says Ezra's refusal to have an armed guard gave an abrupt initiation into the discipline of faith. Ezra's refusal of this armed guard doesn't mean that later, when Nehemiah would accept the armed guard and actually see it as God's provision, that that's a lack of faith. Instead, this is Ezra's personal conviction. As Kidner says, both are attitudes of faith. Each, in a different way, gave acceptable honor to God. But the weapons that Ezra goes for here is not an armed guard. Instead, it is fasting and prayer. And the key phrase here is so that we might humble ourselves before God. They take the position of humility before they enter into this long and difficult journey. Humility is the bedrock of prayer. Humility is truth. Humility is truth because it leads us to a greater dependence upon God. It leads us to an authentic prayer life. And they reinforce their prayer with fasting, showing their true dependence upon God. One commentary I read said that fasting is like a clearing of the decks for action. Fasting is not an end in itself, but it's an opportunity for the people of God to humble themselves before God and ask for his protection on this coming journey. I like how John Corsons in his commentary said it. He says, Fasting is a wonderful and it's a powerful instrument in the arsenal of the believer who desires to move in the spirit. Fasting is not intended to earn the Father's approval Whether skipping a favorite food, a meal or two, whether for a day or longer, fasting is simply a means by which we can take the time and effort we would otherwise spend on meeting our physical needs to concentrate on our spiritual ones. Fasting says, I need to know the way to go. I want to be led by your spirit. You see, fasting is for our benefit. It's not to impress God. And I don't know what journey each of you might be embarking on right now. Lately, I feel like I've been on constant new journeys. Good ones, but big ones at the same time. This job, stepping into this new position and trying to find my way with it, filling just a small part of the gap left by Betsy's retirement, which are huge shoes to fill Ordination, finally accepting that God called me into ordained ministry, no matter how long I've pushed away from it. He called me toward it and equipped me in ways I didn't even notice. Motherhood, (laughs) first just with Kaylee and now looking at having our second sweet Caleb, who we'll meet in March. Huge journeys. 
And yet, honestly, I feel like I just haven't spent enough time praying and depending on the Lord for each of these things. Too often, I try to do them in my own strength. I get really busy, and I don't pause and pray. And I fall short, and I become completely exhausted. Life moves quick. So much comes at us every day, but Ezra pauses to pray. He spent three days pausing before the Lord, asking for his guidance and renewing his dependence upon him. So whatever journey you are facing, maybe it's a big one like me, or maybe it's just little small steps, remind yourself of your need for the Lord's guidance. Pause, pray, perhaps even fast. Doing it in his strength and in his power is infinitely better. So let's read on in our passage, verses 24 to 30. Then I set apart 12 of the leading priests. And I'm not going to read all this, mostly because their names are really hard to pronounce. But, <laughs> and he weighed out the offering of silver and gold and the articles that the king, his advisors, his officials, and all of Israel present there had donated to the house of God. I'm not going to read all this either, but he, he weighs out all of the treasures that they brought with them. Verse 28, I said to them, You, as well as these articles, are consecrated to the Lord. The silver and gold are a freewill offering to the Lord, the God of your ancestors. Guard them carefully until you weigh them out in the chambers of the house of the Lord in Jerusalem before the leading priests and the Levites and the family heads of Israel. Then the priests and Levites received the silver and gold and sacred articles that had been weighed out to be taken to the house of God in Jerusalem. Another thing about Ezra's leadership is that he is not naive. He weighs out the treasures that they brought with them, and then they weigh them again when they arrive, and it weighs exactly the same. This, it says, is God's gracious hand protecting them. Ezra knew that on this journey they were susceptible to enemies without and enemies within. So he is thoughtful in measuring everything out before they go. But it just shows, again, God's protection. He protects them amazingly on this journey. Well, finally, we reach the journey. Verses 31 through 32. On the twelfth day of the first month, we set out from the Ahava Canal to go to Jerusalem. The hand of our God was on us. He protected us from enemies and bandits along the way. So we arrived in Jerusalem where we rested for three days. And that's it. That's all it says about this journey. Not much is said about this journey that was 800 miles, four months long. It gets just two little verses to describe it. And that is because the journey itself is not the focus of our passage We have to remember the purpose of this journey. It is to build the house of God. This is the great theme of the book. Everything is being done to ensure the presence of the Lord among his people. So why such silence about the journey? It's because there are lessons about prayer and obedience before the journey, which if they follow those lessons, then the journey just becomes a mere formality. They are under God's mighty hand. 
Rico Tyson, his sermon on this passage, calls this journey Ezra's great visual aid. Ezra had to demonstrate to those traveling with them and those who were already in Jerusalem that living under God's law works. That the journey, then, is his great visual aid, showing that if you obey God's word, his gracious hand is upon you. And throughout this passage, we consistently hear about the gracious hand of God upon them. And the gracious hand of God is upon us as well. So what does grace even mean? I think sometimes we think grace can be something that's transacted. That something that can be passed around to a greater or a lesser extent. But that really misses what grace actually is. Luke Ijaz in his sermon says that grace is simply the fundamental disposition of God's heart towards his people. Grace. That is his disposition towards his people. And that is his disposition towards each of you. Have you paused to think upon that lately? God looks at you and he just sees grace. His gracious hand is always upon your life. I think too often we forget that. We miss it. We become desensitized to it. We go about our days and we totally miss the gracious hand of God supporting us, being gracious towards us, protecting us. So how do we remind ourselves that we live under the gracious hand of God? I have three ways, and this largely comes from the sermon that I heard by Luke Ijaz on this passage. The first way is to ensure that you are located in the midst of God's people. Well, you're here, so good job. Ijaz says that this wasn't all about what Ezra himself was being called to individually. It's great to have good leaders, but it's not all about the leader. It's about the whole community of God's people and what they were being called to together. The provision of the Levites is said to be the gracious hand of God. If you try to go it alone, you live an individual faith, you will so easily miss the gracious hand of God upon your life. Instead, take note of those around you. Take note of how each person that comes into your life who supports you along this journey is the gracious hand of God upon you. Then and only then will his gracious hand become unmistakable to you. You will not be able to miss it. Secondly, Notice God's protection in your life, even in the small ways. Each day, as Janine pointed out last week, live in gratitude. Live in gratitude of all the ways that God protects you. Countless ways. As you drive to church in the morning, thank the Lord for your safe trip. Thank the Lord for all the times you arrive safely, for the times he heals you from sickness, from the times he comes alongside you and protects you, in even small ways you might not normally notice. 
because that is the gracious hand of God upon you. One commentary I read said that Ezra is constantly calling us to look beyond the mundane and beyond the routine to see the hand of God working out his purposes as year succeeds to year. I bet if we pause to notice it, we will see it too. And third, very simply, spend time with the Lord. This can be whatever you want it to look like. Fasting, praying, reading God's word, meditating upon it, silence and solitude, whatever it looks like for you. For me lately, it's looked like headphones in my ears and the Bible app playing the verses so that I can listen to it while I run around and chase Kaylee. Whatever it looks like for you, spend time with the Lord. Ijaz says that we become anesthetized to the gracious hand of God upon our life. Prayer and fasting helps that effect wear off so that the light and warmth of God's grace can get through, so that we can recognize it, so that we can even feel it. But the important thing is that we first humble ourselves before him. In doing that, we recognize our dependence upon him. We recognize that we cannot do anything on our own. Like the song said, we cannot even breathe on our own. We rely on him for everything, for each and every one of our heartbeats. When we recognize that, then and only then do we enter into authentic prayer. Then and only then are we able to see the gracious hand of God upon our every moment. So live like Ezra. Study, obey, teach God's word. Let it be our focus so that we can recognize the hand of God upon our lives. We see his gracious hand. We see his gracious love. We see him working in our midst. So choose to make time to pray and do it today. That is what we're going to do to end our time together. We're not going to put off our prayer time with the Lord. We're going to do it today, right now, together. Because too often we say, I'll make time for that tomorrow. But instead, let's do it now. This whole lesson was, for me, really a focus on the hand of the Lord upon my life. He's like a friend that comes up alongside you. He places his hand on your shoulder to give you strength and comfort. So with that in mind, I looked up tons of verses about the hand of God. The hand of God comes up in the Bible so many times. So you have a handout that should have been either on your seat or handed to you as you came in. If you're missing one, look around there on some of the chairs. If you have extra, hold them up so people can grab them if you need one. Anybody missing it? You can raise your hand if you're missing one. They don't put any in the front row, Barb, because nobody sits there. (laughs) All right, so in this handout are some of the verses that stuck out to me as I read through all the verses about the hand of God. 
There are verses that put us in awe of the God we serve, whose hand formed the heavens. There are some that humble us, reminding us that he is in control and we should be dependent upon him. And there are some verses that give us strength, reminding us that he upholds us and we can trust in that. Spend some time just reflecting on these verses. Then answer the questions at the bottom. You don't have to write out your answers. You can if you want to, but at least just prayerfully consider them. Just spend some time with the Lord. Look back on how his hand has sustained you through your days and thank him for it. I want to read you the psalm that I read during my devotions yesterday. It comes from Psalm 18, verses 1 through 6. It says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth. Their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens, God has pitched a tent for the sun. It's like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is deprived of its warmth. You see, the same God who holds the heavens in place, the same God whose glory is displayed in the skies, is the same God who comes alongside you, rests his hand upon your shoulder, and gives you strength and comfort. Let's spend time praising that God today. Let's spend time in grateful prayer for his gracious hand upon our lives. So after you've had about five minutes or so to reflect on these verses and look through your handout, then Carolyn's going to go ahead and play a song And that'll be how we close. I hope that this time in prayer is just a blessing to you as you spend some time with the Lord. Let's close in prayer. Father God, I thank you for your gracious hand upon each one of us. Lord, may we leave here and notice it throughout our days as we breathe in your grace and we Breathe out your praise. May we notice your gracious hand in the people that come alongside us and support us. May we notice it in all the countless ways that you protect us throughout our days. We are so grateful that you, God, whose hands made the heavens and holds the skies in their place, is also the same God who comes alongside us and brings us strength and comfort and places your hand on our shoulder when we need it. Lord, go with us this morning and may our group time be a wonderful blessing and may we just hear more from you as we hear from one another. Thank you for all that you do for us and the countless ways that you Show us your grace. In your name I pray, amen.